Chapter Twenty Nine of Dead Men's Shoes. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Judy Mason. Dead Men's Shoes by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. Chapter Twenty Nine, At the How. Saturday shows bright and fair, a fine winter day, hoar-frost on the hedges. The roads are dry, but not too hard for the horses. The minster towers stand out, sharply defined against the clear, cold blue. Rooks are screaming loud in the ragged embows, robins singing merrily. A blithe day in the newborn year, a day which inspires Redcastle with the idea that Trade is brisker than it has been, and things in general looking up, so potent is the influence of the fine weather. Never has Marion Faunthorpe felt so proud or happy as when her uncle's carriage calls for her and her boxes, and she takes her seat opposite Mr. Trenchard, who, by right divine of his threescore years and ten, occupies the post of honour wrapped to the chin in sable, and with a tiger rug over his knees. "'Did you shoot that tiger yourself, dear uncle?' asks Marion, bent on making herself agreeable. "'No, child,' replies the dear uncle rather snappishly. "'I had something better to do in India than to shoot tigers.' "'But it's very nice shooting big game, isn't it, uncle? Some people go to India on purpose for that, don't they?' fools do perhaps there's no accounting for their taste the little surgeon has come out to the gate to see his niece off nay he has actually stolen an hour from the parish in order to behold the glory of her departure he seems as pleased to see her happiness as if he himself were going to the how and at the last moment the girl feels touched you dear darling old uncle she says hanging round his neck and forgetting the possibility of damage to her new hat. How good you always are, always, 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 and I'm an ungrateful wretch. My love, you are not ungrateful, and you have very little to be grateful for. Everything you mean, Uncle Robert, I shall think of you ever so many times a day at the how, and if the dinners are very nice, I shall so wish you could be with us. Thank you, my dear. I shall think of you and miss you very much. I'm going to keep house, exclaims Jenny, lolling against the gate and swaying to and fro distractingly as she talks, and make tea and all. Nobody to tell me not to take too much butter. And Hester will give us my favorite puddings, I know, if I quill her cap borders. So, after embracing the doctor in this demonstrative fashion, Marion enters the carriage with tears in her eyes, to the aggravation of Stephen Trenchard, who hates tears and fuss and emotion of all kinds, except of the thrill of delight which accompanies a successful stroke of business. "'Crying again?' he exclaims testily. "'What's the matter now?' "'There's nothing the matter, dear uncle, only I'm so happy.' and I feel a little overcome at leaving Uncle Robert. 
"'It's a pity you should leave him at all "'if the parting is so pathetic,' sneers Mr. Trenchard. "'Oh, Sybil, I've had such a nice little note from Miss Cardinal "'to confirm Sir Wilford's invitation,' says Marion, "'and she exhibits a formal note "'in which the polite Phoebe expresses her satisfaction "'at having heard from her brother "'that Miss Marion Faunthorpe has promised to accompany her sister on Saturday.' The drive is delightful for anyone with an unburdened mind, and even Sybil feels the sweetness of the clear winter air and determines to make the best of an awkward concatenation of events. After all, it is better to be lolling in Uncle Trenchard's carriage on one's way to a delightful old country house than to be grinding at French or German verbs in Mrs. Hazleton's cheerless second-floor schoolroom badly warmed by a fire that seems always made of the dullest coals that ever came from the bosom of the earth. And all this is but the filling of a gap in her life. This chasm of time ridged over, and she will be with Alexis once more, and they will have Uncle Trenchard's money to spend and be happy ever afterwards. She has persuaded herself that let alexis make what protestations he pleases in the present he will take her to his heart again gladly when the fitting time comes and in the meantime there is no use in my moping and making myself miserable reflects sibyl her spirits elevated by atmospheric influences and the prospect of being the object of general admiration i wonder if there will be many people there she speculates presently people with titles suggests marion a duke perhaps i should like to see a duke or a duchess that would be better still think of her dresses sib mustn't they be magnificent sibyl smiles the languid smile of contempt at her sister's simplicity as if there were a sliding scale for the toilette she says why cotton spinners wives dress as well as duchesses nowadays they employ the same milliners and pay their bills quicker it's dreadful to think of replies marion it seems like turning things topsy-turvy you know they are at the how by this time a domain which marion enters open-eyed and dumb with awe sir wilford comes out into the porch to receive them and gives directions about their luggage and makes himself generally busy. Then he calls out Phoebe and introduces Marion to her, at which Marion, being almost tongue-tied by shyness, says, Thank you. You show the Miss Fonthorpes their rooms, Phoebe, says the hospitable baronet, but this is a length to which Miss Cardinal will not go, though she conducted her dearest Cecilia to her apartment half an hour ago with her arm round Cecilia's severely trained waist perker knows all about the room she says whereupon appears the essence of respectability in a black silk gown and smart cap otherwise mrs perker the housekeeper sibyl and marion follow this personage up the broad oak staircase to a long perspective of corridor in which mrs perker opens two doors next to each other and reveals twin bed-chambers neatly furnished with maple and chintz i thought you two ladies would like to be next to each other remarks the housekeeper obligingly as if the choice of rooms were entirely her own 
we do very much exclaims marion who regains her power of speech in this inferior presence i'm very glad i'm to be near sybil i should be awfully afraid of ghosts in this great rambling house mrs perker smiles condescendingly as if she were a superior order of being accustomed to large houses and family spectres it is a rambling old place she says but i shouldn't fancy myself in one of your fine lightsome modern houses all glare and gilding and there is a ghost i dare say says marion with thrilling interest the housekeeper screws up her lips and smiles significantly as if she could and if she would tell of as many apparitions as appear in the tragedy of macbeth there has never been a ghost owned to at the how she says and i wouldn't breathe the name of such a thing in miss cardonnel's hearing but people have been frightened strangers it may have been rats or it may have been the wind i can't say but there are friends of the family who wouldn't sleep in this corridor no not for a thousand pounds marion shudders and almost wishes herself back in the shabby old house at the end of redcastle so here are your rooms young ladies opening into each other how nice exclaims marion never in her life has she felt more warmly attached to sybil than she does at this moment fires burn cheerily in both rooms and each apartment has that thoroughly comfortable and convenient air only to be seen in a well-ordered country house and altogether distinct from the cheerless precision of an hotel bedchamber there is the nice little writing-table with all things needful for correspondence in front of the fire the casey chair the candles and pincushion and a hothouse flower or two in a slender vase on the dressing-table all smiles a welcome to the stranger not miss cardonnel's welcome by the way but mrs perker's i've given your maid a nice room on the second floor within easy reach of this ma'am says the housekeeper at which marion's eyes open wide with wonder i have no maid replies sybil unabashed by that humiliating fact i am accustomed to wait upon myself indeed ma'am some young ladies prefer it i know for my own part i couldn't bear anybody fidgeting about me and if you should require any assistance miss cardonnel's maid will be very happy thanks no my sister can help me if i want her and sybil proceeds to open her handsome portmanteaus while marion contrives to stand before the shabby receptacle which contains her property lest the scrutinizing eye of mrs perker should behold its dilapidation the housekeeper bustles off and leaves the two girls to themselves it's rather like going to school again isn't it sybil inquires marion whose spirits have sunk a little oppressed by the unfamiliar splendours of the how i feel just as i did the day we went to miss worries and i can't help fancying we shall be told off into our different classes when we go downstairs the sound of the luncheon bell reminds the sisters that they have no time to waste and they go downstairs together presently conscious that they are looking nice enough to face even unfriendly criticism sir wilford is lounging in the hall and they go into luncheon under his wing fred stormont is near the dining-room door and rushes to meet sybil and her sister 
and mrs stormont gives a friendly bow from the other end of the table where she sits among the stately matrons and the bald-headed fathers of the land and they begin to feel themselves more at home as marion whispers to her sister the conversation at luncheon runs more continuously upon the present company's absent brothers and sisters and cousins and nieces and sons and daughters-in-law than is quite congenial to the feelings of a stranger totally unacquainted with these relations but marion manages to get up a little talk about nothing particular with fred stormont which beheld from afar looks like flirtation and causes the young man's anxious mother to put up her gold eyeglass and look at him through it wondering how that silly frederick can be so ridiculous as to waste his attentions upon the wrong sister i suppose mr trenchard will leave the girl five thousand pounds or so thinks mrs stormont but what would be the use of that to a young man with fred's expensive habits end of chapter twenty nine